Welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, reaction to Harry, the interview on ITV, a one-to-one conversation with Tom Bradby based on the Duke of Sussex's book Spare. It could be subtitled Sex and Drugs and My Royal Role. It's been said that his dad, Prince Charles, is the second British monarch to lose the United States after George III. Such is the wave of sympathy across the Atlantic to the Sussexes, especially following the Harry and Meghan Netflix series. Will the latest revelations in Harry's interview with Tom Bradby confirm that trend? We'll be hearing from US royal commentator R.S. Locke. On this side of the pond, numerous print outlets have mobilised against Harry and Meghan following widely reported leaks of spare. We'll hear from journalist and comedian Ava Vidal, and media commentator Mick Wright about unconscious bias racism and what Harry calls the sick relationship between the monarchy and the press. Before all that, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our brilliant monthly newspaper, which features content that you can't read anywhere else. We don't have a millionaire backer or the support of large corporations We rely on ordinary readers and listeners like you to support our fearless, non-partisan journalism, exposing corruption and holding the powerful to account. So find out how to subscribe over at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. Subscriptions cost as little as £3 a month, so please do subscribe if you can. As I say, more details at bylinetimes.com. Let's welcome... R.S. Locke to the conversation, joining us from the United States. As I say, we're going to hear from Mick Wright as well very shortly and Ava Vidal. But uh, R.S., you've not read Spare yet, but you have seen the ITV documentary with Tom Bradby. What did you make of it? I have. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I would just say, you know, for folks who watched it, it's a lot to take in. So I can imagine reading the actual book for the folks who have have had a chance to read it. I know it has made its way out into some people's hands. There's a lot of information there. (laughs) Um, And I think you you get Harry's candor and the fact that, you know, when they when they build the book, they talked about it as being raw and unflinching. I think that's there. So I'm looking forward to reading it. And I'm interested in seeing the context in which a lot of the headlines, which have been more sensationalized, I'm interested in seeing the context of the book in one whole package, rather than kind of the sound bites that have been pulled out of it. The trauma, the childhood trauma of losing his mom is very present there for Harry. There's probably less emphasis on the racism of the British media than there was in the Harry and Meghan Netflix series, certainly based on this interview. But those themes were still present in this interview with Tom Bradby. I don't know that I'm I'm interpreting as less um, conversation about racism. I think what Harry is trying to distinguish is he's talked about it, you know, in other instances. So back in 2019, Meghan did a, a British Vogue guest edit. And Harry did an article uh, where he interviewed Jane Goodall. In that, he talked about unconscious bias and having to wrestle with that. And he's brought it up even more recently um, in other interviews. And so I think 
you know, in some of the conversations, if you think about the Netflix um, docuseries, one of the things that Harry references is a BuzzFeed article that came out in January 2020. And this basically did a head to head 20 different articles that talked about here's what Kate did. Here's what Megan did. Very much the same activity, but very, very differently framed in the media and talked about the bias within that and basically said, if I can't if you can't see this, I can't there's nothing I can do for you. And it was just he he was exasperated. And at the time, even watching the docuseries, I felt like these are the conversations that he's had with his family. This is him trying to educate his family about unconscious bias and the racism that is in this media coverage and his family not seeing it. And that is exactly the reaction that you are getting is, you know, his family basically gaslighting him and saying that I don't see anything here. This is what everybody goes through. I think that's really what he is trying to distinguish with coming up the way that he did and the way that he knows his family did that they don't have a understanding of racism in the, in the same way as what he's trying to say and to try and help them see that. Honestly, I, I feel like he gave them a, a lot of grace um, and pr- frankly more than I would be able to, but really trying to leave, leave an opening for, hey, I don't think you're racist. I do think you're biased. And I think that comes out in the media coverage and that comes out in your treatment of Megan and your unwillingness to accept or acknowledge or work on that is where we have a problem. And his view, and I think this would be how most people understand it, if your unconscious bias is pointed out to you, which Harry has said he has done to members of his family, and you still continue to ignore it, then it stops being unconscious bias. That's the point at which it does become racism. Exactly. And again, with within members of his family, it I don't know how many of those conversations he's had, but it sounds like he's had them over the course of a number of years and is still being told, no, you're the problem. It's not us or the media. Let's bring in uh, Mick Wright, who uh, you might find on Substack as uh, Broken Bottle Boy. Mick, in the interview with Tom Bradby, the, the tabloids are referenced. You and I have discussed this before. Some of the fabrications against Harry and Meghan haven't come just from the tabloids. Some of this has come from more respectable outlets as well. And in the days leading up to this interview, they've been getting their retaliation in first against Harry. I think the tabloid respectable distinction is um, pointless. I mean, if you look at something like The Times, the Times' editorial line is is pretty close to the Sun's editorial line. It's 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 tabloid sibling. It just uh, you know uh, uses uh, longer words basically, and and the same goes for papers like um, amongst the tabloids, uh, a paper like the Mirror, which might be you know still sort of uh, purport to be a more left wing title. That's putting out the same kind of stuff that the Sun is about Harry and and Meghan. So I I think respectability is just a lie when it comes to um, British press's response to this kind of stuff and the reality uh, is really that the, what it comes down to is a very this is very good for numbers lots of people want to read this stuff even as i you know i've written a, a couple of newsletters about it this week analyzing the analyzing this press coverage and i've got people going you know there are other things that people are really interested in it's true there are lots of other things that people are really interested in but if the british press weren't getting 
good traffic for these stories, they'd stop writing them. So, you know, that's a reality as well. There are interesting comments to this story from a, in inverted commas, human interest point of view, uh, a salacious point of view, losing his virginity, the story of the the killing of, he believes, 25 members of the Taliban during his time serving in the British forces. But as our colleague from Byline Times, Sam Bright, has pointed out, from our point of view anyway, what's really interesting here is about the power of oligarchs behind the scenes, the people who run the British press, the way in which the British press has an agenda, even though we would like to pretend that it doesn't have one, and the way in which it has mobilised, and I use that word again, to protect this institution called the monarchy, one of the most powerful and important institutions, whether you like it or not, and whether you agree with it or not, one of the most powerful institutions in British life. That's where, from a byline point of view, I think this story becomes interesting. Yeah, and there's a great hypocrisy at work here because the papers that are attacking Harry for stating quite frankly that he believes that he 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 probably was was responsible for the deaths of 25 Taliban during his time in Afghanistan. These are papers that supported the war in Afghanistan. These are the these are papers that present a view of war that is sanitized I would recommend anyone who's listening who hasn't read it to read uh, Joe Glenton, who was a, a Afghan war veteran and uh, written a lot about his experience in the military. He deserted actually in the end, and, and he's, he wrote a great book about that, but he's written a very good book about how we treat veterans. He makes a very good point about the fact that, you know, what they don't like about this is, is the reality of what Harry said. And Harry hasn't bragged or gloated. If you read even the uh, retranslated Spanish leak of it, you know, translated back from the Spanish into English. It's not a passage in that book. And it's just worth us saying, you know, this is a ghostwritten book. So this is Harry talking to a, a very good writer who's helped him write this book. Um, he, he doesn't brag. What he's saying is, you know, I, I, the, the, the military makes you dehumanize people that you're involved in fighting against that is a reality of it i come from a military family i was in the military myself my my both my parents were in the navy and i i, I see the reality in what he's saying there and what the the press wants from veterans is they either want them to be inspirational dead or or silent basically and that's not what harry's done here and and that's that's a problem for them and particularly the Sun, there was a Sun front page when Harry was still in the military, uh, you know, that said, our, our hero Harry, he's killed a top Taliban commander. But now we're pretending the Prince Harry says he killed 25 people during that war, that it's terrible and it's somehow um, breaking some hidden code of honour. There are so many military books, including, you know, Colonel Richard Kemp has been all over the, the media this week castigating Harry for, for this part of the book. Uh, he wrote a book in which he names um, individual soldiers and how many people they killed during during the war in Afghanistan. So it's hypocrisy being involved here. And it also is very interesting because it's giving us a um, an insight into the way war and the way our, uh, you know, the people who have been in our armed forces are, are treated and expected to be treated. You know, we don't treat veterans very well. We expect a lot from them. We put them through hell. And then we want we basically let them suffer afterwards. It's pretty disgusting. I'm just uh, looking at my Twitter stream at the moment and the Times and Sunday Times 
uh, ready, I suppose, as we are, back to the end of the Tom Bradby uh, interview. But asking the question, uh, they give some credit to Tom Bradby, say that he interviewed some decent hard balls. He lobbed some decent hard balls at Prince Harry. But he didn't ask him the obvious question. Will there ever come a point, Harry, when this whinging will stop? Now, No, well, that's, that's complete <laughs> crap. At the very end of the interview, Harry made a pretty clear statement about what he wanted to do now and also why these two... Um, these two projects, these looking back projects were the question was asked really because it said, why are you doing these things that are exposing your family's privacy when you complain about your own privacy? And he answered it by saying, my, I believe my family has been leaking stories about me for at least 10 years and I want to take control of my own story. The, the, the thing that you have to come back to when you look at newspapers saying stuff like this is they, their correspondents, the experts that they quote regularly, have all written thousands, if not millions of words about Harry. Many of these people have written entire books about him. But they have a problem with the man who was born into celebrity, born famous, from telling his own story. It's farcical. Farcical. Let me bring Ava in here. I don't think it's whinging. He's allowed to speak about his family and someone who comes from a very abusive family as well. I mean, I still think he isn't going far enough to say that you want to reconcile with these people and somebody who's been through it, I'm thinking they will kill you. They will destroy you. Don't go anywhere near, you, you know, you can't open the doors that he's opening and then go, I'd like a reconciliation. Mate, they'll cut your head off. Like, <laughs> stay far from them as possible. In terms of, Harry, I agree with uh, what Mick said about Harry and all of a sudden the papers are quoting Taliban leaders. So that's okay now. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing that I've seen. Who cares what the head of the Taliban said? Oh, he said Harry's a loser. Oh, wow, we care. Who, who asked for their opinion? I don't care about their opinion. No decent person should. And they have switched the narrative on him as well, which is, I think, Harry, as somebody who's kind of been through a lot of crap... I'm looking at Harry thinking, oh, you just need better advisors. And I think that when he's speaking about, you know, lots of the squad came after me last week because I said, you know what? If he did write that stuff in his book, and I said, I'm not even sure that he wrote it in the way that the papers are reporting it. He's just got to be more careful. He's he, he, You've got to understand the weight, the people who are after you. You've said they're after you. You've said they're leaking stuff. They've put you in danger. Recognise the weight and the power behind those people that you say are after you. I think just don't walk into silly traps. That's what I think. I think he should have better advice. I wasn't really interested in the virginity story. I thought it was pretty pathetic. And I thought things like that. How has he got no one around him to say, mate, don't talk about mounting a woman and speak about misogyny in the next breath. And I just think it's, it's come to the point now where, Obviously, you feel sorry for them and, and you want them to succeed and I want them to succeed. But I think if you want them to succeed, you've got to also be able to have conversations and, and be honest about it. Not everything that you say is that's not 100% complimentary of them is actually an attack. It's like, oh, I can see where you're going wrong. You might want to save yourself. Do you know what I mean? I, I just thought the virginity thing was misogynistic. I just thought this wording was totally wrong. I thought that, Taliban thing I mean I would have to see I did say I'm not even sure if they're telling the truth about what he said but if he did say that about the Taliban or however it was phrased I obviously haven't got the book yet but 
you can't put yourself up as a face of anti-racism and start speaking about anti-racism. And, you know, this is all very new to them. Racism and how it works and the insidious nature of racism, they don't still don't get it. They've, they've got a very basic idea. You know, Megan has said she never really suffered racism. Harry, you can't just come on board and present yourself as the expert on it because there's stuff, and I've seen a lot of black female commentators from here, from the States, who are looking at them, shaking their heads, because we can see where it might be going. So I hope that they slow down a little bit going forward. And he's just a bit more careful what he says. And they bring on some more experienced voices that can say to them, do you know what you've just said there? Or don't present it in this way. It's just not, it, it doesn't sound good for you. There is an but, argument, however it's, he writes it, it'll be presented in a certain way. I don't know. Uh, then that's a different issue. Just don't yeah. give people rope to hang you with. That's my point. Victoria wants to uh, join us, I think, from the United States. Hi, yes. I, I just had a quick question. So um, the, the woman who was just speaking, have you actually read the, entire, the entirety of, um, of Harry's books? Because to make assumptions off of uh, what the UK media is putting out there, what the press, what the quote-unquote uh, royalists, what the uh, royal commentators are saying, is exactly feeding into the narrative and exactly what Harry himself, who, I, I mean, I'm all the way in the United States. I will say this much. I have never jumped through so many hoops to actually hear and find a way to listen to an interview that's happening over in the UK, as I did with this one tonight. I got a chance to actually sit in and hear, um, think, thanks to you know um, a friend that I have here on, on Twitter in a space that, that, that they opened up, but Harry was very clear in everything that he said. He's been clear, he's been concise, he's been direct and to the point. He has said exactly what his experience is. And, and it's, I, I feel like until somebody sits down and reads the book cover to cover, um, of course, the press is going to extract what they want in order to continue the, the ongoing smear campaign. We saw this with Princess Margaret. We've seen this with uh, Diana. We've seen this it, with Harry his entire life. Like, why don't we, instead of sitting on the sidelines and saying, well, I mean, he shouldn't have said this or he should have said that. Maybe we should just trust in the fact that, hey, he's putting everything, all his chips, all his cards on the table and saying, I don't ever want them to be able to blackmail and bring up anything about me. I want to say 10 toes down, this is what happened, this is my experience, and I'm going to stand behind it. And and I have the book coming in, I think it drops um, in my Audible, I get that before my Amazon drops. I have every intention to read it cover to cover. And I, right now, I support Harry, I support Meghan. I have, I, I've known about um, Meghan's work prior to her marrying into the royal family. Harry has been I mean, his, he, he's grown, he's experienced death, he's experienced grief, happiness, everything that somebody would go through. And I think the fact that he's basically putting himself out there so raw and so bare is something where instead of attacking him, maybe we should take a step back and being like, where is this narrative coming from where instead of taking this man by his word, I immediately have to castigate him. What I said was, I was very clear, obviously I haven't read the book, but I'm not somebody who's that led by my emotions that I can't just look at something. Like I said, to say that you, you can support them without supporting everything. And I made it very clear. If he said that, those are two things I pointed out. If he did say them, I think it was a misstep. If he didn't say them, it should again highlight to him 
how much power the people who he says are persecuting him have got behind them. You know what I mean? Just have a bit of sense. That's what I'm telling you. And they're very new to this whole situation. He's never had to deal with racism before. She's never had to deal with racism before. And British, particularly British racism, is so insidious and it's so indirect and it's so, it's like another language almost. It's vile, you know, and we grew up under it. So what I'm saying is, get some better advisors, get some people to help you to navigate around that because it is a very painful experience. And I know that. I was. I grew up here. I went, you know, obviously I didn't go to Eton. I went to public school here. I, I've seen, especially when the racism comes from, you know, people think it's all working class people. No, it's not. It, the racism from middle and upper class people is horrendous. It's really bad. So that's the point that I'm making. I want to bring in uh, RS and Mick, who've both got things to offer on this, though, as well. RS, you go first, please. I don't know that this is an issue of advice. This is about the establishment, so the British media and the royal family, wanting to silence Harry and Meghan. So I I think I, I would take issue with the notion of if they said it differently or if he didn't say it, say this exact wording, it would be okay. They don't want them talking because they don't want them talking about the relationship between the British press and the media. They don't want them talking about the institutional racism within the royal family and within the the royal household. They don't want those to be subjects. And so this is really all about, can we turn up enough hate, including having people in Britain praise the Taliban because, because that's the counter and the anti to Harry can we turn up enough hate that they will go away? Like that is really the mission here. And so I, I hear you on, hey, there, there are things in the book that are probably, and, and again, I have not read it. I think different than, than Ava, I have read the actual extract from the book where he talks about his military service that the sound bites were put into. And what I would say there is there's nuance and there's introspection in what I read, but I also understand that not everybody will, will like it. You're getting to the heart of what I think this debate is around, really, this sense that the British media and the British establishment, which Harry says are intimately connected, the media and the monarchy intimately connected, and really they want to shut up or shut down Harry and Meghan. Now, they can't stop them broadcasting. They can't stop them making documentary series on Netflix. They can't stop Tom Bradby and ITV interviewing them him or them, what they can do is diminish them in the eyes of the public. Yes, I I think that is at the base level. That is what this is about is, you know, and Harry talked about the fact that, you know, when when Harry and Meghan said we're stepping back in January 2020, they did their final, you know, farewell tour in, in the UK in that March. And then the country and the world was in lockdown for for significant months and California even more so. So they weren't out in the world. They were doing the same Zoom calls and kind of small stuff that everybody else was, but they were very quiet. They didn't talk about the British monarchy. They didn't talk about their experience. They didn't talk about Harry's family. They were, you know, bringing food to, to shut-ins who, who had health conditions. So... And what Harry talks about is even in those moments when we went away and said, hey, you know, it's been great. We're going to go do our own thing here. 
you still had the press and the palace doubled down on the denigration and the hate, even when they weren't in the media eye. And it's the same thing that happened when they were in the UK and as working royals, some of the most vicious and horrible articles that were printed about Harry and Meghan happened when Meghan was on maternity leave and wasn't in the public eye. And it also it was almost worse because when they're out on engagements and you see them interacting with people and you kind of hear what they're talking about, it's hard to paint this picture of them as the villains when you see them and you can connect. Whereas if you if you are not in the public eye, it's a lot easier for the British media to construct a narrative that is basically created out of their own imaginations and what they are trying to pin Harry and Meghan again as, as kind of the villains who are trying to bring down the monarchy versus just acknowledging hey, we messed up here, but they're gone. We're all going to get a, go about our normal engagements and basically have a separate piece. Instead of doing that, they spent a year flogging them off in the press, and that's why you get the Oprah interview. Then you get another wave of just nightmarish drama, and then you get these projects, which are saying, hey, you've spent the last six years telling everybody who we are we're going to have our moment to say no this is who we are this is what happened and now we can either leave it there or we can continue to do this back and forth and our microphone is just as big as yours now and I think that's also part of what Harry and Megan are showing and saying is hey you want to use Roy Anika in the times or have Robert Lacey drop some some notes about Megan being a narcissist, narcissistic sociopath. And everybody's kind of like, well, we're just going to let that go. It's like, well, I can come back and I can bring my Netflix docuseries and talk about how that played out. So again, I think that's the difference that we have here is now you have Harry and Megan as they are independent and separate from the royal family. They are saying our microphone is just as big as yours. And that is yeah. what the establishment, both the media and the palace, are having a problem with. I think if people watch that interview, a lot of people will come away going, he is not this person that a lot of the media reports say he is. One of the things that often gets put around in columns, there's a number of columns this weekend who, who tr tried this one, is to say he's thick, Right. He's not thick. He's some. He's an articulate person who knows his own mind very well. No academic star by any means, but very few people in his family were. The other thing that I would I would say about it is, with regard to stuff like the virginity thing, I I my belief, and it's just based on thinking a little bit about what the tactics might be, is I think he's approached this book with the ghostwriter with the assumption that. His belief is that his family leaks things around him all the time. And so really, it's a get it all out there thing. So the virginity story, which he said in the interview tonight, is four lines. Of course, that's been given um, a wider play in the press because, you know, it's salacious. Today in The Sun on Sunday, there was a story that's been dredged up apparent of him apparently allegedly making a, a joke about a woman um, at a ski resort in 2011. Actually, a, a pretty young woman, 19-year-old woman. But the son doesn't write what the joke is. They just say, oh, he made a sexist joke. Now, there's two things with that. One is, 
that's 12 years ago. Man has changed quite a long time, a lot in that time. And secondly, they, they don't say what the joke was. So it's insinuation and, and, and innuendo again. That's not a story. For me, that's not a story. You go, okay, well, tell me what the joke was. If there's a sexist joke, tell me what the sexist joke was. But that is a great example of what the, the, the palace and uh, tabloids particularly, but newspapers in general, are doing now, which is bringing out these old stories. And when you want to talk about misogyny, look at the Daily Mail once they heard about the, the virginity story, running a panel in, in the paper and online with the runners and riders of the women that they thought might be the woman who Harry had sex with. And in the same story with The Sun on Sunday about this, um, this woman um, at the ski resort, uh, they said, well, we're not naming her, but she has appeared in this magazine and she is now married. So immediately starting a, a chase to name that woman. I guarantee that woman will be named. What we journalists know, Mick, is jigsaw identification. Exactly. You put jigsaw things together and you'll be able to work out who and it is. Yeah. What is also happening now is a woman who, who, who told her story in November last year, an older woman who, who he had a relationship with and it was out there and people knew about it. Lots of kiss and tell stories again now. Lots of money being given to people to say things. The ski resort story came from an alleged former friend who said, oh, I've, I've, I've told this story to the son because I'm morally outraged that he calls himself a feminist. No, absolute horseshit that he's morally offended. It's just he's been given a pile of cash by the son. And we're going to see a lot more of that. He's given moral instruction by the British media is like asking Joseph Fritzl for home improvement advice. Let's get uh, David Henry involved. Hello, David. Welcome to uh, the conversation on Byline Radio. Go on, mate. Hi there. Um, well, I actually did watch it. I'm not a royalist, being from Scotland. I really couldn't care less what they do. However, knowing a bit about how the press works, I think Harry has been on the receiving end for a very long time since a child. I think people should take that into account. I also thought what was interesting is, of course, he's uh, involved in three lawsuits against three large tabloid newspaper publishers. With some success, it should be said, David. Uh, yes. Associated Newspapers, for example, the owners of the Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday, they have won legal battles against major newspaper organisations. So there we have, um, might explain some of the more outrageous and hyperbolic headlines i happened i mean I've, it's not just the tabloids I, I have been astounded by the gb news presenters who have been queuing up to throw abuse and accusations and say how what a terrible person he is and oh the oh what he's done to his family when actually his argument is against the media and the royal household not necessarily the royal family and they're not the same thing when the Queen was in Edinburgh, uh, after she had passed away, there was news. So this just tells me how totally corrupt the whole thing is. And there was, I'm not sure what part, in up, up in the high street in Edinburgh, a gun salute to for the new king. And when somebody said, God save the king and all that, and there was all these boos from the public. That was broadcast live by the BBC and others. And yet when it was then broadcast later on, edited, the booze had vanished and it was all just applause. So what we're dealing with here is not reality. It's what they would like reality to be. They'd like us all to think the royal family is wonderful and it's a fairy tale. 
I think what Harry is showing is it's far from a fairy tale. It's not what Disney makes in movies. You're basically imprisoned and you can't you don't have a life anymore. They decided to give it up and walk away and look what's happening to them. I mean, I've seen people criticizing Prince Harry and how the public now hate him and always damn it. No, they don't. The public really couldn't care less. This is just media whipped up nonsense in the tabloids and wherever else. It's just total nonsense. I saw uh, one commentary, uh, David, which suggests that his crime, in a sense, has been to punch through the fourth wall and let some light in onto mm-hmm. this institution. And in doing so, he's revealed some of the workings of the institution mm-hmm. and the way in which it is upheld by the media. The media need the royals for stories. The royals need the media to lend them legitimacy. And it is a very incestuous and close relationship. And if you start unpicking that, well, you're challenging both the primacy of media and the primacy of the royal family. And Harry says he's still a monarchist, but I think it's, it's hard to square what he's doing, if you like, with the idea of a monarchy being a valid idea in 2022. Harry's obviously been brought up in this institution and this way of life. Perhaps the reason he is less, if you like, institutionalized than his brother is because his mother, Princess Diana, made sure that both her kids had as much a normal upbringing as possible, much to the horror of the royal institution and the tabloid press that effectively hunted her to death. And I happen to think from watching the interview, I thought he's clearly still haunted by what happened. Of course, this idea that you, you've you lost your mother in a terrible accident and you've got to walk behind the coffin, you're not allowed to show any emotion. That's pretty bizarre. Most families don't operate like that. So I think people should cut him a break, maybe buy the book, read it, and frankly, leave him alone. He doesn't cost the British... I think, do you know what I think annoys the press and the Royal Institution? Is he has walked away from them. He's walked away from the institution. He's no longer on the public pay payroll. He doesn't take any taxpayers' money. The rest of them are all living off the taxpayer, let's face it. Um, and that's what they don't like. The all right, David, coming good out. to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed you. for joining in. Uh, Ava, go on, you wanted to comment, I think. I think a lot of people are side-eyeing Harry because you've told us how bad this institution is and what's happened to you in it and how they sell stories and how it operates and how fake it is. And then you're going, I'm still a monarchist. A lot of people are like, really? So how are we supposed to understand that? I think that when it comes to Harry and Meghan, it's almost like a Beyonce or maybe a Jeremy Corbyn situation where I think people can see how badly they've been picked on and stuff. And so I think it doesn't allow sometimes to have a sensible conversation as to what's going on. And I think that when it comes to what I've said, I wasn't saying, oh, they need to tell their story this way, that way, because, of you know, and people go, oh, but it's how the tabloids work. It's precisely because I know how the tabloids work is why I made the comments that I made. They are nasty. And I think Tyler Perry said it in the best way. I think if you take it out of this, oh, is it royal family, anti-royal family or not? And you take this 
into a situation of abuse. It is an abusive situation. Anybody who's been in a, a domestic violence situation, abusive relationship or had coercive control, because what we're seeing right now is actually coercive control. And when we're looking at it and you look at it like that, as opposed to, oh, my God, it's like, you know, Harry's so hard, hard done by whatever. I think when you frame it like that, I think that might click it into place for a lot of people. And that is what the British press are like. And like Mick said, they're going to go on. They're going to hunt that woman down who he spoke about. And that's what I'm saying. Like When you know that's how they operate, be smart in what you're giving. Do you understand what I'm saying? In what you're revealing to these people, because they are going to hunt down people. They are going to pretend they care about misogyny. The male talking about he made this comment about his Asian colleague years ago. Like, please. Black and brown people have been begging you for years to leave us the hell alone. Now you care about racism, but we understand how it works. So just fix up and, and watch how you, watch what you're giving them because it's horrible. It really is nasty. He cannot really come out and say, I think the monarchy should be dismantled because so much of his self is tied to the monarchy this is a boy born in you know a man who was born a baby into the monarchy right very hard for him to go to the next step from his critique you know prince harry henry windsor is not going to become a marxist all of a sudden but the way <laughs> i look at this oh you don't have to be a marxist no, to not no, be a no, monarchy but, no but the, no, but, what I, yeah, but the reason i say marxist is because i look at this from a fairly Marx, I'm not a communist, but I, I, I do read, a, I, I do see a lot in Marx's analysis of the world. And fundamentally, monarchy is is a disgusting creation, right? And and uh, people will dance around it, but to have a system that believes fundamentally that someone could be born special, more special than any other baby, is 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 is, is horrendous, and it leads to the things that have happened to Prince Harry, but it also leads to a country that is hugely unequal in lots of ways and where inequality is accepted. So the existence of the monarchy is a huge problem for Britain and will continue to be a huge problem for Britain. And I think something that people find it hard to accept is that Prince Harry was born a celebrity. He can't stop being a celebrity. I, I think he does try, tries quite hard to make the celebrity that he has something positive, to do positive things. I think he's trying to learn and change. And I think part of what Ava said was, yeah, you're a bit further back in your journey of, of learning how Britain works, because fundamentally, Prince Harry's lived a very privileged life and a very narrowly privileged life. And some of that was broken down a bit by meeting Meghan, who taught him some other things. But Meghan's had a very interesting and different life that that, that doesn't necessarily give her a, the, the perspective on Britain either, as much as she's experienced some absolute shit because of how Britain works. One of the pieces that Harry and Meghan, I think, have, have struggled with is trying to put their, not just their own story out, but also to to give people a representation of who they are. And then you take it or leave it whether you agree with his comments about, you know, his time in the military, whether you agree with his, you know, experience in terms of the the funeral of his mother, 
like all of those are his life and his experience. And so to me, this is his opportunity to put that into the world, say, this is who I am, not who other people have told you or made me out to be. And then, you know, people will make their own choice. And so I think, you know, as, as we get into this whole, like, does everybody need to love them? Or, you know, can you not say a critical word about what Harry and Megan have said? I don't think that that is even what they are looking for. I really think this is all about, we've spent six years not really being able to tell our story. We've, we've been created as these villains in the British media. There's a reason why that has happened. So let us give you some insight into that. And at the same time, we'll give you some insight into our experience and how it looked on our end. And then people will just kind of, you, you got to digest that and, and move forward. In the interview, Tom Bradby brought up the lawsuits and that that is part of the bias that is in there. But also part of what you're seeing is an industry that has been based on having the British media and these royal correspondents as the filters to what the royal family are and who are these um, inhabitants of the royal household. And now you have Harry and Meghan poking a hole, not just through the the image and the facade that's there and the relationships that, th- that have been constructed, but also through the ATM <laughs> and, and the bank accounts that all of these same people who were writing biographies and doing interviews are counting on because of that veil of secrecy. Um, and so that is also part of why there's so much vitriol in the in the media is because now stories that have been put out for decades about, you know, Harry's relationship with William and their closeness and all of these other things and, and everybody's brand and image are now at, at stake. Thanks to all of our contributors on both sides of the Atlantic. Thanks to Ava Vidal. Thanks to R.S. Locke. And thanks to Mick Wright. I'm Adrian Goldberg. You've been listening to Byline Radio. Or if you're listening on Catch Up to the Byline Times podcast. And just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our brilliant monthly newspaper. Do please take out a subscription if you can. More details over at our newsbreaking website, bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. We'll see you all again very soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking part. Take care now. Bye bye.